I'm Chaplain Jacob Scott of the Oregon National Guard. This is the Hope in the Trenches podcast. We're going forward. I'll sit down for conversations with people who offer interesting and informative perspectives on finding strength for life and work in the trenches and even improving our spiritual posture. Whether you feel like you're under heavy bombardment or ready to go over the top toward a new objective, it's good to be with you. Our guest today is retired Major General John Gronsky. General Gronsky is a proven combat leader with over 40 years service to the United States Army, including active duty and the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. He commanded units from the company through the division level. Some of his significant assignments included serving as the Deputy Commanding General of U.S. Army Europe when he retired in 2019. He was the Commanding General of the 28th Infantry Division, and he served two brigade commands there. He was a brigade commander for the 2nd Brigade 28th ID in Ramadi, Iraq in 2005-2006, where he led 5,000 soldiers and Marines in combat operations. He also commanded the 55th Brigade 28th ID and served as military liaison team chief in Lithuania. General Gronsky is a graduate of numerous military schools to include the U.S. Army War College, the Command and General Staff Course, Infantry Officer Advanced Course, Army Ranger School, and Airborne School, and he received numerous military awards and decorations throughout his career. In the private sector, General Gronsky worked for many years at a family business, Paul Gronsky Enterprises Incorporated, and then worked as a management consultant for approximately 13 years, where he led implementation teams for Fortune 500 companies in the telecommunications, healthcare, and utility industries. General Gronsky is a graduate of the University of Scranton in Pennsylvania, where he earned a bachelor's degree in human services. He earned an MBA from Penn State and a master's in strategic studies from the Army War College. He also attended Alvernia University as a doctoral student in the Corporate Leadership Program. He's been certified as a project management professional, and he holds a master's certificate as a Lean Six Sigma black belt from Villanova University. General Gronsky was raised by his father, who was a single parent. General Gronsky was the youngest of seven children. His father, and the family business we mentioned earlier, when he returned from World War II, opened a garage and a used car business. He's the one who General Gronsky credits as teaching him the entrepreneurial mindset. General Gronsky is a thoughtful leader, and he has a reputation as a servant leader. He's written two books, The Ride of Our Lives, which chronicled a cross-country bicycle trip he, his wife, and their infant son took in 1983, and Iron Sharpened Leadership, Transforming Hard-Fought Lessons into Action, recently published just last year. He and his wife, Bertie, still live in Pennsylvania. Sir, thanks so much for joining us today on Hope in the Trenches. At first, I just want to thank you for having me as a guest on your podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think it's important to get a, a message of hope and faith and, and, and uh, you know, various uh, models of leadership out there. So thank you for this. Uh, so at any rate... Uh, Background, uh, you know, got my commission in 1978, served on active duty for a few years, ended up uh, bicycling across the United States with my wife and our 15-month-old son back in 1983 on our way back to northeastern Pennsylvania from 
uh, the Fort Lewis, Washington area. That's where I left active duty. And uh, joined the Pennsylvania National Guard when I got back to Pennsylvania. And uh, ended up serving a total of uh, over 40 years, you know, between active duty, National Guard, uh, deployments, that, that type of thing. So I did retire in 2019. But since I was a Pennsylvania National Guardsman, and for most of my military career in Pennsylvania National Guard, I was a traditional guardsman. I did have a full-time civilian job as well. And uh, a lot of that time period uh, before I went on uh, full-time as a guardsman in 2011 was spent working at a management consulting firm outside of the Philadelphia area where I worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, telecommunications, uh, healthcare, utilities, uh, helping to uh, uh, implement large, complex projects. So not only have the leadership experience on the military side, but also leadership experience on the business side. So when I retired in 2019, my last assignment was uh, one of the D.C. Um, just trying to get out there and, and help to develop uh, stronger leaders, whether it's aspiring leaders or currently serving leaders, uh, do a lot of work for uh, uh, Fortune 500 type companies, uh, also do uh, a lot of leadership training for law enforcement and the military. Uh, so that's what I do now, Chap. No, that's fantastic, sir. Well, and I, and I often share with our soldiers and airmen um, that there is quite often what what makes us better at our military professions makes us better in our civilian professions and and vice versa there's that great scene from the movie we were soldiers once and young where with with the young lieutenant awaiting the birth of his first child sitting in the chapel and he and he asked uh then lieutenant colonel Moore um at least in the movie version um how do you how do you balance those both and and he said i you know what makes me successful in one makes me successful in the other um and and i think you've 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 shown that how do you how do you find that interplay or that balance yeah you know uh, as as a national guardsman you know with the family and a full-time uh you know civilian job a career and uh you know various volunteer activities I was involved with. What I found is you can't just divide every every one of those elements of your life up equally. So if there's four major elements of your life, it can't be 25%, 25%, 25%, 25%. It's gotta be, you have to adjust it based on what is actually happening. So sometimes, you know, as a National Guardsman, I had to focus on my military responsibilities, 90%, you know, and, and the other three elements of my life, less than 10%. And then other times I would have to readjust that based on what was going on. And I found you can't just salami slice it and divvy it up that yeah. way. You've really got to, you've really got to adjust the uh, energy that you put into one of those elements of your life based on what's going on. Right, I, I call it one of those iron triangles of painful trade-offs. They they use that in in contracting. I think uh, cost, quality, and time. Pick pick two because you can't maximize all three of those 
um, there's there's always a, a cost somewhere. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I I learned that you know I was I had a certification as a project management professional, and that's certainly one of the tenets of of managing a, a project. You know, as you just said, you've got to pick two. You can't have all three. Or uh, there was a there's a friend of mine. Uh, he's he's in the ministry and a, and a chaplain in the army reserves. Uh, he said trying to balance those responsibilities. Sometime like uh, trying to canoe down through a rapids with one foot and two different canoes. And, and sometimes it stretches you in ways that make you uncomfortable. But. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you know, you've got to uh, manage your time. Man- and, and really, uh, there's an interesting book I, I read a while back. I can't remember the exact title of it, but, but basically what the author talked about is it's not about time management. It's about managing the energy that you put into things. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. I, that might be one of the uh, part of the the seven habits to uh, the seven habits of highly, highly effective people. But um, working on working on those priorities and, and managing where, where you put put that influence. Um, of course, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The, I was told once that the grammatically that word priority is it can only be sing- singular you can't have multiple priorities <laughs> that, that, that's that's uh well you could have multiple priorities but you've got to understand that oh, there could only be one number one. Oh, yes sir at any at any one time which uh, as as you said and, and yeah. choosing uh, where where you um where you need to focus at that at that moment and that's really a conversation about then uh, resilience in a way, um, not even not so much bouncing back necessarily as uh, as as being strong or staying strong to be fit for your for your various callings. How and I, I think we overuse the term work life balance uh, in in that way um, in in that uh, really it's it's all in. in uh, intimately interconnected. So, sir, how have you how have you managed all of that throughout your career, or, or been able to stay strong and and make make the right call for where you focus your time and energy? Yeah, uh, like like I said, it's really based on what's going on uh, on the ground, and uh, it, it's it's also understanding that that really got to be focused on the things that you can control. You know, there's certain things that are outside of our control, and uh, you, you've got to try to be self-disciplined to not worry about trying to control things that are simply outside of your control. You know, gas prices, for example, yes, sir. or, you know, the war in Ukraine right now. I mean, there's, there's, there's certain things, you know, other geopolitical conditions that are occurring, even the weather, you know, there's certain things we cannot control. So we've got to focus on the things we can control. And, and that, I think, is a good way to uh, try to live one's life. Oh, yes, sir. Well, and we do use the uh, the terms area of influence and area of operations. And you you operate in, in, in your assigned area. Um, we could compare that to any any one of our, our callings or vocations as well. But certainly there are things that come from the outside, and but you can only affect things within a certain um within a certain area. And that's that's straight out of the heaven the seven habits too that uh the idea that there there are 
well, our, our, the things that concern us are, are much broader and more peripheral, but then uh, applying ourselves where we actually do have, have that control. Yeah, absolutely. Sir, and, uh, so you take the you take the title of your most recent book, Iron Sharpened Leadership, from from Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. As as iron sharpens one person, uh, or as as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens uh, another. And you you, uh, you share the story, the genesis of that title, or how how you, you where you picked that up when you were in a leadership position. Um, what is what has iron sharpened leadership? Um, come to mean for you, sir? Yeah, to me, iron sharpened leadership and, and, and really with the, 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 the message behind Proverbs 27, 17 really means to me is, uh, you know, we've got to, as leaders, uh, we, we've got to find ways to leave our comfort zone and to relate with people who, who are, stronger than us, uh, you know, maybe more highly talented or developed in a certain area than, than we are. So we could sharpen ourselves against them and, and become stronger and, and, and more effective leaders. But then at the same token, we've also got to, you know, look at other people who are perhaps a little bit less talented than, than we are or less developed than we are. And we've got to help to develop others along the way too. So just as we have to look for people that we could sharpen ourselves against, we also have to, uh, you know, give of ourselves to help other people become sharper as well. So there's, it's multifaceted there. Uh, it's not just about making ourselves sharper and stronger. It's about helping those we lead and really helping anybody in, in general who, who who reaches out to us or that we, we reach down to, to try to help them become stronger too. Yes, sir. Uh, well, and you talk about servant servant leadership uh, in, in the book and well, and really that's, that's built into the, the army values, the self selfless service. And, and I think you talk about too, the, that positions of leadership are never, for the benefit of the leader, uh, and, and the the authority and the position and everything that goes along with that that's that's bestowed on a leader is never never for that uh, for that individual leader, but for the sake of the individual the organization and the individuals that are that are that are part of it, and or in the military for the sake of the mission. Um, how did how did you come to understand uh, servant leadership and and that? Um, giving of yourself as a leader? Yeah, that's a great question. It probably started with my, with my family, you know, just, just, just the values as I was a, a young child, you know, growing up, uh, having a sense of my father giving back to the community in which he lived and being charitable and, and being generous and trying to help other people. And so I think it was, I think that's where it, it, it all started. And then, uh, you know, just, just based on books that I read and mentors that I had as, as I was a, uh, a young aspiring leader uh, trying to develop those skills and, and, and realizing that as a leader, uh, 
it's really incumbent on us to place the welfare of those we lead above and beyond our, our own welfare. And then there's this whole notion of ambition as well, you know, and, and I believe that a leader shouldn't be ambitious for their own, uh, you know, potential future positions. They need to be ambitious for the benefit of the organization by which they're leading, you know, so, so, you know, you've got to channel that ambition to be focused on helping the organization that you lead become better hmm. uh, rather than be worried about, Hey, what, what is my next position? You know, just, just a, a quick story that, that I, I heard that I think is pretty cool. I heard, you know, the story about a Lieutenant talking to this, this general officer and, you know, this, the second Lieutenant was asking a general officer, Hey, Hey, sir, you know, how do, how do I become, how do I become a general? And this general officer, you know, kind of started talking about army values and, and the importance of, of staying true to those army values, you know, the loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. And, you know, as, as the general, you know, spoke about these things for about 10 minutes, you know, he paused and the second lieutenant looked at the general and he said, oh, so if, if, if I do all those things, I'll get promoted to general. And the general said, no, if you do all those things, you'll get promoted to first lieutenant. You know, in, in other words, you know, there, there, there is no silver bullet to, to, you know, gaining, uh, you know, higher, higher positions. You've, you've really got to focus on the job at hand, do your best at the job at hand. And if you do well, things are going to take care of themselves and you'll get promoted to the next rung in the ladder. And that's probably, I think that's the way I try to look at, at uh, my career. And I think that's a, a healthy way to look at it. There's no shortcut to wisdom, is there? Not, a, not at all. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's all about paying dues and, and going through the experiences and education that we all need to develop to be, become a stronger leader, a stronger person. And, and learning along the way and, and, and taking, taking those lessons. There's a, there's a great story in a book. Um, I read it in, in the book, uh, best, I think it's best year ever by Michael, Michael Hyatt. Uh, he's a man of faith as well, but he shares a story of, of coach K Mike Krzyzewski in their 2015 championship run. And so uh, at the time while we're recording this, Duke is still in, in the hunt for the national championship. But uh, at the start of the 2015 March Madness, he, he, took, he took a basketball and he had his players write the, the names of people who had impacted them along the way and helped them get to where, where they were on the, on, on the cusp of a championship. And, and, and they, so they each, either, each of the players and coaches wrote, wrote names on there and they, uh, they, they carried that basketball with them through the, through the whole tournament from the hotels, the meals, et cetera. And then, uh, they ended up winning the championship and, and when they won, they pulled that basketball out and, and coach K said then, okay, now I want you to, to reach out to those people and, and let them know what, what their in, what their impact was on you and in, in getting to this uh, to this achievement. Um, I, well, it, you you talk about that writing notes and 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 keeping in touch with people and uh, affirming and enabling people. What what has that meant to you along the way, sir? Yeah, uh, you know I've had so many 
great mentors along the way. And, 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 you know, all my mentors weren't necessarily older than me or at a, a, at a higher level in terms of position authority than, than, than I was. And I am a firm believer, <clears throat> excuse me, I am a firm believer that mentorship is really 360 degrees. You know, it's, it's not only people that are, quote, your boss <laughs> or in a position of authority above you that you can learn from. You can learn from your peers. You can learn from people who work for you and you can learn from people who you lead. So I really think it's just a matter of, of uh, you know, being open-minded and, and actually looking for those opportunities where you could learn from other people. I speak about this in my book. You know, there's a, in one chapter I talk about not everybody deserves a mentor. And, and by that I mean, you know, if you're a closed-minded person and if you think you know everything, and if you're so arrogant you don't think you can learn anything anymore, you probably don't deserve a mentor because you're going to be failing to see those mentorship opportunities that are all around us all the time. You know, but you've got to open up your mind to those opportunities. You've got to open up, uh, you know, your eyes to those learning opportunities. So those who fail to do that don't don't deserve a mentor at all because these these opportunities are really all around us. We just got to look for it. Oh yes, sir, and uh, and avoid that hubris that um, that would suggest that we've we've arrived and we, we've got nothing else to learn. That was, I learned that in a seminary classroom, one of our professors said, you will be formed, so choose wisely on who and what you let shape you. No, I, I, absolutely, and, I, and I, I truly believe that when a leader stops learning because they think they know everything already, they, they stop growing, they actually start regressing. I mean, even in my career, you know, retired from the Army now, uh, and the, the various positions that I've been honored uh, to, to hold, I'm still trying to develop myself to be a stronger leader. I'm still trying to learn how to be a, a better leader. So I, I, I think it's something we all have to continue to try to to get better. And I think it's back to iron sharpens iron. You know, once you once you stop sharpening yourself, you're only going to get dull. So so no matter how old you are or how experienced you are, you have to always find those ways to try to get a little bit sharper. Oh, absolutely, sir. So you talked about the potential for, for leaders or people to regress. Do you think that's responsible for some of the corrosive or toxic behaviors that we see within organizations or, or, or families or um, military units? Yeah, I really think, uh, you know, and we've all seen it. You know, you, you get to a, a high level in any organization, whether it be military, civilian, government, you name it. And some of these leaders that get to those higher levels of responsibility, uh, you know, do these things which are, you know, uh, just just what you would think out of character for them. You know, they have these character flaws, you know, they... Or, or, or issues, you know, in terms of perhaps having an affair, or perhaps, you know, stealing money or, or using power in an in, in unjust way. And, and um, I think a lot of it has to do with complacency uh, and, and then opportunities that, that are around somebody where they, they don't pull themselves in check. So 
you know, if you get complacent again and think you know everything and think that you've arrived, as you said, you know, there's there's that opportunity where you might drift a little bit in terms of what your values are. And the other thing is, if, if you don't have checks and balances, it's, it's, it's easy to drift. So I do think leaders, especially as leaders move higher and higher in an organization, they've got to ensure that there's checks and balances around them. So, you know, maybe ask some trusted advisors, you know, to really keep an eye on, on, on the way you've been behaving or the way you talk to people or the way you interact and give them the permission to call you out on it if they see you perhaps going, you know, off tangent uh, to a degree. So there's, there's certain things I think leaders need to do to, to help safeguard themselves uh, from getting off track in terms of uh, character issues and, and, and those type of things. And, and certainly finding ways to, to keep that core strong, the, the core of your character. That's one of the things that I think has been a blessing of the, the Army's new FM 7-22 holistic health and fitness, which that, that nomenclature 7-22 used to be solely based on, on physical fitness, but now it, it, it's acknowledged the, the interplay of, of all of these various uh, facets of, of fitness from physical, mental fitness, um, sleep hygiene, diet, uh, and of course they, they they've uh, they've given acknowledgement to the to the spiritual fitness. Yeah, you know, I just saw uh, a short article come out about the space force and how the space force is really embracing this whole notion of wellness rather than what's the score on the PT test. Um, and, and, and I talk a lot about resiliency. And when I talk about resiliency, I think one of the aspects of becoming more resilient is focusing on fitness, not just physical fitness, but mental fitness, emotional fitness, and spiritual fitness. And, and if you focus on all those elements of fitness, it'll help you become a more resilient person. I do think it's incumbent on a leader not only to focus on their own resiliency, but also to help the people that they lead to, to become more resilient as well. So I think, I think leaders need to be well-versed on various resiliency techniques so they could counsel people they lead and, and mentor people they lead and coach people they lead on various resiliency techniques to help everybody become more resilient, which ultimately helps the organization become a more resilient organization. Yes, sir. And you mentioned earlier that you, you spent most of your career as a traditional guardsman. And so uh, your well, we, we understand or realize pretty quickly in leadership positions in the National Guard that we we only have direct contact with our soldiers and airmen and others in the organization for two or three days per per month, sometimes for longer stretches. Um, but still when we when when we're there we have to we have to be ready so how did you how did you find ways to to sharpen your own resilience and to to communicate that in that dispersed environment or when when you don't have so much direct contact with people yeah you know i heard a pretty good quote a couple of weeks ago in that quote and i think it really applies to 
law enforcement and military professionals. And, and that quote is, stay ready, then you won't have to get ready. So I, I think it's, it's really focusing on those elements of fitness that we talked about all the time. It's not, it's just not about, hey, I'm going to, I used to hate this in, 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 in the army when, when certain soldiers would say, oh, there's a PT test coming up in, in two months. Now I, now I got to start getting in good physical shape. It's kind of like, what? You know, that, that's something you need to focus on all the time. And the same with the mental fitness, the emotional fitness, the spiritual fitness. It's not just something you do now and then. It's something you you develop into a lifestyle. And so I think if you could develop that lifestyle of being a well person, uh, a balanced person, uh, that's what it's all about. It's it's not just it's just not when a particular event is coming up, you decide to quote get ready for it. You know you gotta you gotta stay ready because you never know. You know, I think COVID was a, this whole pandemic was a perfect example. You know, you never know when a crisis like that is going to, is going to pop up. Uh, or in our military lives, we never know when we're going to be called upon to go somewhere and, and, and perform, especially with the National Guard, you know, with the uh, uh, civilian or, or with the military support, the civilian authorities. You know, you could be called up into Oregon National Guard or any National Guard you know, in a heartbeat, if there's some type of man-made or, or natural disaster. So uh, again, uh, you, you've got to maintain that that notion of, of, of staying ready, and that, and that's what I always try to do in my life. Yes, sir. And there's a boy that brought up a couple interest, uh, a couple thoughts I've had. Um, now, readiness, resilience. Those, in some sense, those are transitory. Uh, states that that uh, it's it's hard to to stay at uh, peak readiness or uh, at at that hyper alertness all the time. Um, but I but I think that um, one of the ways that you do stay ready and uh, but not going over the edge of falling into into despair or. Uh, hyper alertness in a, in a negative way is is by living uh, with a sense of hope and purpose, um, under, understanding that even even on your worst days, ultimate ultimately everything's going to be okay. Of course, that's the big idea for this podcast too: is that that living and and leading with hope is is essential for not just life in the military, but across um, across our entire lives and, and who we are and what we're, what we're called to do. Um, how do you, where do you find hope, sir? Okay, uh, could you say that oh, again, please? Well, so where, so where, uh, sir, where do you in to, to live and to lead with hope and not, and not sort of um, veer too far into hyper alertness or hyper vigilance or which could, could lead to despair if, if, if you're not hopeful that there's a better tomorrow possible yeah. or coming, um, mm-hmm. how uh, how do you personally, sir? Where where does your hope come from? How do you how do you live and lead with hope? Yeah, uh, and I think you said the word before, which I'm a big believer in, is is purpose. Uh, so, from an individual perspective, it's real important to do some self reflection really identify what your life purpose is. And I, I, I struggled with this when I transitioned out of the military in 2019. 
I, I, I really uh, kind of fell into a little bit of a mood of despair because I wasn't quite as, as, as busy as I had been and, and engaging with soldiers as I had been doing over in Europe. And, and uh, I had to, you know, just kind of step back a little bit and reflect and really, and really identify, hey, what is my life, life purpose? Why, why am I here? And, and life purposes could change based on, you know, dif- different seasons of your life. Uh, but but that that is really, I think, a, a, a very important aspect of maintaining hope. To understand that hey, I'm, I'm here for a reason that, that is much bigger than myself. And once you understand what that purpose and, and, and reason is, then then you could stay motivated and again you don't have to be hyper vigilant you know 24 7 because that's impossible that that, that's only going to burn you out uh but you could bounce back you know if you have an off day or an off couple of days when you understand what your purpose is it's it's much easier to to uh get re-engaged what would you need to get re-engaged with in order to stay uh, uh, on the right path so i really think that sense of, of of uh purposefulness is important. And then I think a leader needs to do that for an organization. You know, any leader, you know, one of the most important things a leader to do is provide that vision. You know, we're in the military, we call it commander's intent. One of the most important elements of, of the commander's intent is, is, is purpose. And, and it's up to the leader to uh, be able to create that shared vision, that shared purpose, and then consistently and continually communicate that out to members of the organization, whether you're talking to 100 people or you're talking to somebody one-on-one, whether you're sending an email or you're doing a podcast like this or, or whatever medium you're using to get your message out, the message has to be consistent and it has to be continual. And, and that's how you, I think, mold an organization to to achieve the things that that the collective body of that organization needs to achieve based on the the shared vision. Yes, sir. And I I think that that vision is is inherently hopeful. Uh, I I always uh, sort of cling to that description, oh, from uh, B.H. Liddell Hart, the British strategist uh, around World War II, and uh, observed that states wage wage war um, to to create a better peace, or the or the, the the whole reason that war happens is to create a better peace. And and really, so that's the job of or the role of the the role of the state and the role of leaders to uh, is a, is a better a better peace, which which is in, inherently hopeful if we're striving to build for that. Um, and that's the that's the role of the leader, isn't it? That if if we're not doing doing something, or if we're not doing the right things that are leading to a, be, a better tomorrow, not just for ourselves but for the organization and and the world, then then we're probably not doing the right things. Yeah, yeah, Chaplain. Let me just continue on this whole notion of hope uh, for for a moment. And and you know, when I talk to people about resiliency, I tell them that you know I think one of the elements, one of the key elements of, of resiliency is positive energy. And, and when I talk about positive energy, I do talk about 
the need for a leader to be optimistic. And, and I like to define optimism as believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today. But along with optimism, it can't be just this Pollyannish view that tomorrow is going to be better than today. A leader has to develop an action plan that's believable to their followers uh, that really indicates that tomorrow is going to be better than today. So it's not just about saying it. It's about having a plan behind that. And, and it's got to be a, a plan that's believable uh, to your followers. And then, and then this whole notion of positive energy, um, I, I, again, you know, something I, I like to say to people is, you know, you, you shouldn't be the type of leader who brightens up every room hmm. when you leave it. You know, you shouldn't be the type of leader who brightens up every room when you leave it. You should be the type of leader who brightens up the room when you enter it, you know. So you need to be able to exude that positive energy. Uh, that's that's pragmatic and that people believe in. And you've got to be approachable, you know. And, and uh, you know, at times you've got to be a cheerleader for the organization. So all of those things factor into hope, factor into faith, and and, and, and factor into developing a more resilient organization. Yes, sir. And that's, and that's right in line. Uh, you, you, you talk about, or at least reference positive psychology a little bit in the, in the book to the, uh, in your rec- most recent book, Iron Sharpened Leadership, that, uh, well, in, in, within positive psychology, there's a subset called hope theory, and they identify two, two components of, of hope uh, or um, living with a, with a hopeful orientation um, because you you do have to believe that a, a better future is is out there or possible, but then the two components are uh, agency and pathway. So agency, right? You you the way you I like the way you phrased it as a, as an action plan. That, um, or excuse me, that uh, and that could be the pathway. So that will really uh, an action plan has both of those elements, agency and pathway. That that I can influence my at least, well, with all the things that I can't influence, I have control over something today and there's a pathway to get there. Whether that's the the infantry team leader who just says, follow me, that's our objective, um, or the uh, the executive leader of a large organization who's looking uh, up and out from a strategic perspective to to, to fulfill that vision or to, to make that vision come to fruition. No, uh, absolutely, and I think I think you have to be tenacious on the overall strategy and the overall vision, but flexible on the tactics to get there. Mm. Because you know uh, the world changes, the environment changes, and sometimes you you might have to go left instead of right. Uh, but that overarching strategy, that overarching vision, I think needs to be steady. While those tactics get there, you, you need to be adaptable on those. Sir, I think you've shared some stories in in your books and other podcasts too, where that I think illustrate that. Any any particular examples you could give of being tenacious with that vision, uh, as well as flexible? Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think for example, when I commanded the the brigade over in Iraq in two thousand and five, two thousand and six, when we first got there. You know, our, 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 our mission was, was to uh, 
destroy, you know, to to destroy insurgents, you know, to to kill bad guys. And as we conducted operations there, we realized you can't kill yourself out of an insurgency. And so we, we changed our focus from killing the bad guys to protecting the populace. Now, to protect the populace, sometimes you still got to kill bad people or detain bad people. Uh, but but it's that whole mindset that changed. And, and, and I thought that was an important shift that we made in, in our operations there. And, and, and really, the overarching purpose of, of us being over there, at least the overarching purpose that I conveyed to the brigade that I led, is that the reason we're over here in Ramadi, Iraq, is to keep our families and friends and all Americans safer back at home. So that was the overarching purpose, but the tactics of how, how we did that, whether it was, you know, killing insurgents or whether it was protecting the populace, that, that kind of shifted. So I think that's that's a pretty good example of of the overarching purpose staying the same, but the tactics to do that changed. And then not being not being afraid to to recognize that what you're doing isn't working um, and, and to shift gears to, to find another way to get there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I talk a lot about decision making and, and, you know, when a leader makes a decision, I say they can't just, you know, make the decision and kind of, you know, throw the sack of potatoes over the wall and then let other people carry that decision out. A leader has to stay connected to that decision. And uh, as new information becomes available, or if you see the, the, the decision you made just isn't working out the way you thought it would, would work out, you know, that leader has to be prepared to shift a little bit, shift course a little bit. And, and you have to be available to the people who are you're expecting to carry out that decision. You have to be available to them in case they need a little bit more guidance or, or in case they, 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 they have some questions. You know, you just can't throw the sack over the wall and walk away. You got to you got to stay connected to it. No, it's not. It's not fire and forget. Um. Well, that was another from uh, the chapter you wrote on on mentorship. Um, you've already used one one uh, phrase that I've I've appropriated uh, with with proper attribution, uh, but that mentorship is three hundred and sixty degrees. Uh, I, I I like that because I I've used it with the context of the, uh, the our people first philosophy that that's that that's three hundred and sixty degrees. Because then you also talk about it as a contact sport, and and that um, yeah. you've got to gain and maintain contact yeah absolutely uh you know if, if as a mentor you've got it, it, it's it, it's a people business it's all about relating to people it's all about being approachable and again you gotta we gotta be careful when we say it's all about being approachable because that that might lead some people to believe that hey you're going to stand back and just wait for people to come to you uh but no that that also means you going out and you engaging people proactively as well to, to get to know people, to get to know what makes them tick, to get to understand their strengths and their and, and their weaknesses. You're going to only do that by by engaging on, on, on a regular basis. Well, yes, sir. I think you said you you were an athlete too, and uh, if you if you wait for uh, for your opponent to initiate contact, uh, you could end up on your fourth point of contact. <laughs> Sir, uh, the uh, with with your recent book too, you with each of the lessons, there are the leadership lessons that you share at the end of every chapter. You sh- uh, you have some some actions that 
that individuals can take, and you also share a spiritual component. Um, maybe a couple of questions about writing that book, and I, and I want to be respectful of your time, but as we wrap it up, um, maybe what did, uh, where did where did that idea come from to 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 or that recognition come from that there's a spiritual component to all to all of this, and and how did you kind of put that into into words in your book? Yeah, I think, you know, just generally, I'm a spiritual person. Uh, you know, the title of the book itself, Fire Sharpened Leadership, as we already talked about, is based on Proverbs 27, 17. And I, I just felt that uh, along with a secular, you know, uh, along with secular actions one could take, uh, people should understand that there's uh a spiritual element of what we do. And I think the spiritual element is really more about, rather than being based on some type of organized religion, it's really being based on the whole concept of there's something going on in the, in the universe that is much greater than ourselves. And we have to recognize that. Uh, and so I, I put those spiritual components in at the end of each chapter, just to help people stay focused on that whole notion of hey, we're, we're a very small cog in the wheel uh, and we have to be cognizant of the fact of, of there's a big universe out there and, and, and things that are going on to, uh, in the universe we could affect even though we're a small piece of it and then the universe also affects us as well. So it's, it's really just being, uh, just recognizing that concept. Well, sir, again, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Any any parting thoughts on on living and leading with with hope? I'll leave you with this. It's it's when you know we have our heart, and and some people have an unfulfilled heart, an empty heart, and other people their heart is overflowing. And and I think what our what we should all seek, and probably what everybody does seek, is a, is a heart that's overflowing with with love and hope and prosperity. And the thing, I think the way we fill our heart with love and hope and prosperity is by doing things for other people. So if, if our focus is on doing something for ourselves that cannot fill that hole in our heart, but when we focus on doing things for other people, to help other people, to assist other people, that's how our heart begins to get filled. So I would just encourage all of us, whether you're in a leadership position or not, to really focus on doing good for other people in order to fill your heart up and it'll lead to a more fulfilling life. That's, that's outstanding, sir. Thank, thank you for, for, sharing, uh, for sharing your heart and your thoughts with us. I could, I could ask you 50 more questions. Um, I, and I, I pray that God would bless you and your, and your family and your, and your work um, today, tomorrow, and always. Chaplain, thank you. It was great having this conversation with you, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. I'd love that, sir. Thank, thank you. This podcast is produced by the Oregon National Guard Public Affairs Office. My prayer for you is that wherever you find yourself, that you might find hope for today and strength for the ambiguity and chaos of life. Blessings on the rest of your day.